Welcome to the Film Courage Podcast. In this episode, we chat with Kyle Patrick Alvarez on his new movie, The Stanford Prison Experiment, in theaters July 17, 2015. Kyle tells us why he did not write the script to The Stanford Prison Experiment, why financing on this movie was easier than his first two movies, how he was able to attract some of the best young male actors in Hollywood, and his advice to filmmakers on securing a distribution deal. We recorded this interview at the busy Doughboys Cafe in Los Angeles. Hope you enjoy. Kyle, when we spoke to you previously, you said that you spent like three years raising money for your two prior films before you could actually make the movie. So was your path to financing similar with the Stanford Prison Experiment? It was actually a little bit easier, which is a nice thing to be able to say, because usually I talk about the perils of financing. So um, it was the film it still took about three years from when it, the script was first sent to me to when we finished it, but it was really a, 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 probably a good eight months of that, ten months of that was making COG and getting COG out there. So that actually, I actually got involved with this before COG went into production, and then I made COG, and then once, and then after that was when we really hunkered down and started casting the film and sort of and what we had on our side this time. Because it doesn't necessarily mean that my next film is going to be easier to finance, or you never know. But uh, what we had on our side was the script was really well known around town because it had almost been made like ten years earlier, and it's such a familiar story, and it just brings in the genre world a little bit. You know, it has enough thriller elements that it was an easier movie for financiers to understand. But you know, also we got lucky, and we got financiers who believed in the project and believed in what I was going to do with it and how we wanted to cast it and some of the at that point too we went out with some actors involved already like Ezra was involved and Michael they were involved when we went out to financiers um, it was a part luck part calculation and and uh, strategy and taking all the things I'd learned from the previous movies too um, but part of it was also the nature of the material it was a little bit easier to sell to people you know so you wrote your first two features why didn't you write this one? Uh, the script just existed already. I mean, it was simple as that. It was the script was thirteen, you know, was about thirteen years old, and um, and it was uh, and the script just read really well. It had this the approach it took that I really admired, which is how I wanted to as a film. Was it kind of stayed back? It didn't. It was sort of like this is the way these things happened. You know, it sort of laid it out. It sort of had a lot of truth to it, a lot of objective objectivism to it, and I wanted to try to make a film that sort of honored that as well. Now, Tim Talbot, he was yep. the screenwriter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, how many drafts did he write? You said it's 13 years or so? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, he wasn't actively working. He, he was actively working on it for a few years, and then it kind of sat dormant for a while. Um, and then, you know, we started working on it again together a little bit. But, you know, for me, once I got involved, it was more of like what a director brings to it, which is just like, I know I won't shoot the scene that way, so let's change that, or that line of dialogue won't make sense for me, or whatever. It was always, it was just, you know, those kind of things I think any director would do on any project. So as, as far as the amount of drafts Tim did, I, you know, his first draft, he just he just took all the footage from the experiment, and he just transcribed it. He really just laid out everything, all his conversations with Phil, and just laid it all into, um, into a script, and it was like 300-something pages long. I've seen it. It was really, really long. And, um, and, and so part of then from there was him working with the previous director on it and really uh, narrowing it down and trying... It was a lot of the writing, I think, was actually what to pull away from the story. You know, that was really how to, how to tell it. And then, so I don't really know the number of drafts, but then when I got involved, it was very much about um, actually narrowing it in even a little bit further because it was going, we, had, we were on such a tight budget that like the script followed everyone into the experiment and I needed to narrow it down to just one guy that we follow when. And so we sort of streamlined the narrative a little bit more even further. 
How much time would you say Tim and you work together on it to kind of uh, fine tune it? Oh, not very, not very long at all. Yeah, no, no that was definitely. That w I mean, it was always sort of being worked on, just because the script kind of always is. But um, but no, for the for the most part, it's. I think it still stays very true to what that original script was. Right now, um, did you shoot this in Palo Alto at Stanford or no? Or? No, oh, we okay. shot everything in LA. Looks like it. We worked really hard to try to get that vibe. We looked at a lot of streets from Palo Alto, and we, you know, when we're choosing a street here, you know, we couldn't get the hills, of course, to the same way, but. Yeah, we wanted it to be authentic, but one of the last things that it was one of the very last things we cut from the budget was actually going up to Stanford. We really wanted to shoot up there, but it's, the school had fees associated with it. Bringing our cast and crew up there was very expensive, and you know when you look back and you you think, oh, this is this is the budget. This is what we have left. This is what we need, and you have to value things. And I felt that by the time we would start seeing the exteriors of Stanford and stuff, that I knew the exterior of Palo Alto would just be like one or two shots, you know. So I knew that we could sort of try to build it around there to hopefully feel authentic. So. Well, it worked. It worked. I've, I I used to work at Stanford, so I thought you actually were filming there. So great job. That's yeah. great. And we did and we did rebuild, you know, we did rebuild the basement of Stanford University. We went there and, and measured it for the hallway. You know, the stuff that had been recorded. We went and actually. Just re we went and measured and rebuilt it almost exactly as, as it was. Ah, interesting. And so the university was open to you being there. Do they feel sort of an homage or some some sense of responsibility? I mean, they've definitely owned the experiment in a lot of ways. I mean, you go to that hallway right now, and there's a plaque that says this is the site of the Stanford prison experiment. You know, so. Um, but I think they really followed Phil's lead on it because the he's so synonymous with the experiment, and Phil was supportive of this project from the get-go. So, I think you know that helped a lot. Um, in terms of having their approval, you know, and having making the film, and part of their approval was stay true to the events, which we did, you know, that kind of, you know, there was sort of an interesting, it, there wasn't a lot of back and forth with them because we had the same intentions they did. Now, how familiar were you with Philip Zimbardo's work beforehand? I know I've read his book on shyness, there's Lucifer Effect, there's so much of his work that's I out mean, there. I mean, I was only f loosely familiar with him in the experiment before I read the script. In fact, when I read the script, I kind of thought, oh, well, they probably made a lot of this up you know, to make it more exciting. And then as I started reading the book, and before I met on the film, reading the book and reading the Wikipedia page and watching the documentary and um, going to his website, it was like, oh wait, this is all really how it played out. And so then I started to learn more about Phil by getting to know him, but by then I was involved with the project. So, you know, I learned a little bit more about the other things he's researched, why he's been inspired to research those things, where he's taken the knowledge he gained from the Stanford Prison Experiment and putting it into prison reform and a more compassionate point of view on, I was really, I was really into that. I mean, it wasn't, you know, the movie was the Stanford Prison Experiment and not the Philip Zimbardo story, you know, which is, I think a really, as a filmmaker, I had to be real, especially as I got to know Phil and wanting all these details of his life in there, I also had to stay controlled on it to realize that, you know, we couldn't tell the scope of his whole story. It would, it would just, it would be impossible to, and it would work against the whole experiment. So, in a lot of ways, it's, a, I think, Phil, as a person, there's a lot more to him than the film shows, just because the film only covers five days of his life, you know? Right, right. Was part of your strategy making this movie um, knowing that you were going to be able to attract some of the top male Hollywood talent? Oh, it was, honestly, I mean, I think the story's fascinating, and but it's a very close second to the main drive for me was, oh, I can, I can cast, this is like a casting, I mean, casting's my favorite part of the process, and I'll never have a, at least on an indie film, never have a better opportunity to cast 25 leads because it's so expensive to have that many people in a movie. So it's not, that's why you don't do it, you know, and on a low budget. So for me, it was, 
the main drive for me was, oh, I can pull together all these young kids. I can work with someone like Billy Crudup, who I've always wanted to work with. Um, and these parts are really good for these kids. And, and so you can create this ensemble um, that hopefully, you know, people will look back if they don't already, even now with Ezra becoming the Flash and Ty becoming Cyclops and all this stuff, you know, and Ki Hong having the Maze Runner and all these things, like, you know, you hope you make the kind of film and you cast it in the kind of way that people look back and go, oh my God, I can't believe all those guys did that movie together. And the trick to that, I think, is a combination of people who are really familiar, or not really familiar, but familiar enough at the Ezra's and Michael's and people who've proven themselves. And then also some fresh faces, not total discoveries, because everyone I wanted everyone to have had on-camera experience, but um, faces that you're seeing in a new light. Michael playing a villain, for instance. Or, you know, people who, we have some kids who are on Nickelodeon shows, or MTV shows, or whatever it might be, who hadn't done, you know, serious narrative drama before. So it was sort of about a combination of this whole group of kids, which was really exciting to me. Did you work with the casting director? What was the casting oh, yeah. process like? I worked with Angela Demo and Barbara McCarthy, uh, who had just done The Spectacular Now, and they'd been on that movie for a long time, for a couple of years, and so they'd seen everyone in this age range. So part of why I wanted to work with them, A, I really liked them, respected the work they did, love how much they love actors and respect actors and how informed they are, but there was a sort of an immediate knowledge of you could quickly get through a couple hundred names because they knew them all, they'd read them all, they'd, you know, and so we were able to really like narrow down. The casting process, it, took, it was in two different stages. The first stage we did was pre-financing where we got people involved that were, would help, not necessarily, no one in the film could get us financing, but the combination of them all together. So that's where Ezra came on board early on, Michael Onurano, Nick Braun, Johnny Simmons, these guys who had already established their careers. So then we could go to financiers and say, this is the kind of cast we want. These are the kind of kids. And then once you have people like that involved, Ezra and, and Michael and stuff, everyone else then starts getting really excited because they want to be a part of, everyone, they're so respected, you know? So you start getting, everyone starts getting really excited about it and wanting to find a place. And it was really, it was an embarrassment of riches because there are so many talented guys in this age range. Absolutely. What was your process for getting the chemistry right? Did you sort of uh, segregate the prisoners in the film and have them sort of form alliances? and do the same with the prison guards or not? We definitely like <laughs> discussed it and considered it, but the truth was at the end of the day that most of these guys knew each other. I mean, I didn't even know it. Like a Tom, Thomas and Logan were doing like water, super soap or water gun commercials together when they were like five years old. And Logan and Kier used to be roommates and Ezra and, and Nick and Johnny have all done movies together. You know, so it wasn't, there was such a familiarity across these guys that I was like, you know what? We just, I just need to embrace that this is the kind of, the, that it was going to be a very non-methody movie. It wasn't going to take any manipulation. I was going to trust that when the camera was rolling, these guys were going to do their parts, and they did. It was kind of great because it made for a really laid back and very comfortable set, considering the material very much wasn't. You know, it was a nice contrast. Right. So let's talk about distribution and screening the film. Um, how many theaters are you screening the Stanford Prison you know, Experience? I don't think it's set yet, but it's somewhere around 80 cities right now or something like that. It's very much bigger than my last film. So it'll be, it'll be in New York and LA on July 17th, and then on July 24th goes cable VOD and starts to open wide over the next few weeks, wider. Um, so it's, it's great. I feel like it's the right it's interesting. There's this dichotomy with independent film right now that typically it's either you're like day and date in a few cities or you're like a massive thousand screen release. And I think this is the kind of movie that's actually served well by this, as much as I would love it to be in a thousand screens, you know, I think it's actually served well by a, a, a more modest sort of in the middle of the road approach where it's like some people will be able to see it on VOD. A lot of people will be able to go see it in theaters because it'll be in enough. And I think it's a really tempered, calculated and an appropriate way to put the movie out.
Was there a deal made at Sundance? Yeah, IFC, IFC, I think the deal was closed outside of Sundance, but you know, it was IFC acquired it out of Sundance. So from making three feature films, what advice can you pass on to other filmmakers on securing a distribution deal? Or is each one a different animal? Each one's different. I think the biggest thing is to know your film I always have always have the ambition that you you might have this breakout success you know what i mean always you always want that every filmmaker wants that but don't be heartbroken be accept be know where your film can fall into the marketplace know where its appeal is going to be so that when you do get a deal and hopefully you do or when you do you're really it's it's very it's stronger to be calculating about it and to know and to uh, you know you don't want to you want to you want your film to be set up to succeed so whatever form that takes, whether it's 100 screens or only two screens or just VOD, you know, know what your movie is and what its exposure is going to be and what's going to be helped out there and, and, and keep pushing because if you have good content, distributors will want it. It might not take on the form you initially wanted, but it will, it will get out there and will ultimately find an audience. Lastly, Kyle, what's your take on power and sort of the good and bad within all of us because we can all go to different extremes yeah and 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 as you've delved into this project and and worked with dr zimbardo you know researching and stuff you see that we can probably all be on a spectrum yeah of that <laughs> to me it's it, to me what i feel like i've learned the most from phil from dr zimbardo and from the experiment is to have the humility to know you're capable of it you know i don't think i've ever been bad i've never really done anything out of vindication to someone but it's arrogant to say I never would, or it's arrogant to say I would never be act the way those guards would. You know, you don't really know, and I think it lets you actually when once you're once you accept that you don't know that about yourself, I think you can actually have a lot more compassion for people who are, you know, not compassion is maybe not the right word, but a lot more, a deeper understanding of why people do things that they do, whether this is in the military or in prisons, whether it's on either side of the situation, to just understand like it's. Uh, the, we as humans and our personalities are way more fickle and, and uh, malleable than we'd like to imagine they are. And, um, and if you accept that, I think, it's, I think you can have understand other people better. Yeah. Excellent. Great. Thank you.